Hardman Nichols uh, was a preacher at Sunset Church of Christ in Dallas. And uh, you know, I had the book last week about the Arlington meeting, and he was one of them there, and, and he addressed the group. And this was part of his presentation. He said, in Abilene, there's a group who formed what is known as the Church of the Upper Room. Their church building is erected on telephone poles. They have it up in the air because they believe one must follow the New Testament pattern in meeting in an upper room when sharing the Lord's Supper. Uh, I read that, and I went back and reread it to make sure that it said what I thought it did. And these are the remarks that he made following the relating that story. He said they failed in their purpose after all their effort because they did not have a room underneath. How can you have an upper room without a lower room? They have the room up on stilts and are not even meeting their pattern. But we understand that even though an upstairs room was used in the examples of the New Testament where the place of meeting is cited, it isn't binding. Why? Because a place of meeting is under generic authority and not under specific authority. Hebrews 20, uh, 10 and 25, he said, commanded the assembly, but not the place. You ever wonder where people's minds are sometimes when they read scripture? And... Uh, it's easy to force meaning sometimes into something when it's just not there. Um, if you read the, the passage in context, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, it said, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What command do we see in that? To, to assemble as the church. And, you know, that, that's, that's what it tells us. And you can go back and, and, and read, read, and read. You, you can find all kinds of things. But we're going to kind of stray a little bit from just the history uh, that we've been looking at and move forward just a little bit because I, I, I think it's important that we get on the same page in some things. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Do we as the church sometimes major in the minors when it comes to the church? But both of the matters of practice and doctrine do we, do, do we get hung up sometimes on things that we want to force on other people that are just not there? And, and when, I, when I say us, I'm, I'm talking about everybody. And, and, and it, it's, it's a dangerous thing when we do that. We're going to read through and, and look at some things, and, and you can relax. I'm not going to go off somewhere that you didn't think I'd ever go. But, but I, I think it's something we need to realize that we had this group of guys that were kind of pushing this restoration movement 
And if you remember all of their doctrines and everything they taught, one of the top two or three items that they were pushing for was unity in Christ. And you also notice that, as we looked at last week, when they began to come together, it wasn't but a matter of a couple of years before what started to happen. They started to divide. And, and we can go back to that first and second and third century when, when so much happened within the church and, and, and we've moved forward and we've seen all these splitter groups that have, have, have kept, moved off from somewhere. Uh, and I, I think it's important we understand something. That in the last 150 years in the church, there's been a lot of splintering happening. A lot of splintering. And, and a lot of splitting. <laughs> And I think sometimes we need to kind of step back and think about who we are as the church. And we, we ended up our time last week, we read some of Paul's comments. I, I'm, I'm not going to reread everything we did. But in 1 Corinthians 9 and 19, it's where Paul wrote, he says, I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And, and I know in our discussion, we, we figured out real quick, he's not talking about compromising anything. He's saying, look, I'm trying to find people where they are and bring them to where they need to be. And, and, and it's about looking at who you're trying to teach the gospel to, that you've got to understand their culture. And, and when you say their culture, that doesn't mean they're from a foreign nation or, or anything else. It just any group of people have an interior, have an internal culture that uh, exists within that group. Your family have, has a culture that's unique, um, and, and 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 that's what Paul was talking about. It's a lot like when he went into Athens. You know, he he went in and and he he, he was appalled at some of the things he saw. But rather than just go for the throat on them, how, how did he approach them? He commended them on one thing. What was it? He says, I see you are a spiritual people. And he talked, I see you've got all of these gods, these statues of gods and everything that have been placed up there. I see you've got that one that's the statue to what God? The unknown God. Guess what he found right there? He found the opening, didn't he? He said, let me tell you about the unknown God. And that's when Paul started to preach and teach. And, and, and that, that's what he was talking about. It, it was about dealing in culture. Um, 1 Corinthians 9 and 22 is where he said, you know, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. Uh, I have become all things to all men that I might all mean, by all means save some. In 6 and 12, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 22, he repeats that same thing, sort of. He says, all things are lawful for me, 
but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. In other words, he, he said all things, when he says all things, is he talking about matters of morality? No. He's not talking about moral issues. That's not what he's approaching. But the point, if, if you read everything in the Corinthian letter in the context of the way it was written, he's trying to bring them to the point that, that they understand one thing. That we're one in Christ. And it's not about your, your way of thinking or your way of doing. We're all trying to, number one, bring glory to God the Father and to Jesus the Son and to spread that message that Jesus brought with his life to be passed on to give them the same hope that we enjoy as the church. He said, that's what, what it's about. It's not about the squabbles that you have. It's not about the separation. It, it, it's not about anything but about Christ and how you respond as his church. Well, in, in, in thinking about that, I went to Romans 14. Now, I'm, I'm going through these for a purpose. Just kind of bear with me for a moment. In Romans 14... <clears throat> beginning in verse 1 it says receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things for one believes he may eat all things but he who is weak eats only vegetables let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him who are you to judge another servant to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. What in the world is he talking about? <coughs> the weaker brother. Does that mean if, if, if your faith is weak, that the rest of the congregation has to bend to your whims and wishes? Not at all. But it's about building each other's faith. And who is the weaker brother? It, it may be the long-standing Christian of great faith and understanding of Scripture. But they have that position, I want it my way. You know, and I want it now. And I want it tomorrow. And I want it at all times to be done the way I see I've heard people um, that have been around a particular congregation for a long, long time <coughs> that when they refer to their home congregation, it's, it's my church. They're not talking about it's mine in the sense this is where I identify and I worship. They're looking at it from a sense of ownership. Have you run into that? Well, I have. I sure have. And if you want to make any changes or do anything, you better run it by me and see if it's okay. And I'll give you my blessing if it is, and then you can move forward. It's that way on the job. You know, 
It's that way in the church. Now, how does all this fit in with what we were talking about last week? You remember, <coughs> we were talking about the, basically it's the stone. <coughs> associations and all that's coming up. And <coughs> it, it come, come down to the point that neither one was necessarily opposed to them as much as they are was opposed to the other one having the position of authority and power. It, it gets back to that individual thing. And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight is how we get people to read Scripture as Scripture is written. You know, I, I asked the question at the very beginning, do you ever wonder what's on some folks' mind when they read Scripture? That they can come up with a particular interpretation that's not there. It's just not there. And, and it's not so much they interpret it wrong but because they understand it a certain way, all others must understand it exactly the same way. Now, the author of our salvation is who? It's Jesus. You know, we can't quibble in any way about Jesus. He came, he died, he was resurrected, by his death and his burial and his resurrection that we stand looking toward heaven. If he had never done that, where would we be? Totally without hope. Totally. So that, 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 that's not what we're talking about. First Timothy, everybody would look at First Timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse 4 and, and, and I want you to think about something here in a minute it says for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer now how many of you like to eat okay I'm, I'm at the head of the line okay I'm, I'm at the head of the line if, 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 you're, if you're cooking a meal and you ever say, would you like to sit down and eat out, I'm going to be sitting down and have my fork in my hand waiting on you. I like to eat. And I enjoy it. As my grandmother said, I'm a good eater. You know, I, I can take care of business. Um, but we like to eat. Is it lawful to eat? It, 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 is it right <laughs> under God's law to eat. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. 
Now, here, here, here's the tough question. It's lawful. Is it always beneficial to eat anything and everything we want? Okay? I love mushrooms. I mean, I, have to, I don't care how you fix them, what you do with them, fry them, put them in a salad. I don't care. I love them. But you don't send me out to gather wild mushrooms because I bring toadstools back. Now, do you want to eat a salad with toadstools? <coughs> you know, absolutely not. You know, that, that, that's the obvious thing. If you've got cholesterol issues, I'd, I'd be suffering if I did because I like it fried. You know, I like it fried. And I, I like it, all, all the stuff that has the cholesterol in it, that those are the good things, you know, in, in life. But if you've got those issues, you've got to watch what your diet is. If, if, if you're diabetic, you have issues with food that you have to watch. And, and, and you can eat the wrong things accidentally. You know, those good, healthy foods like certain fruits and things, really good. And they upset the apple cart where it comes to diabetes. In a hurry, they can. So, you know, all things are not beneficial to eat. But we, we understand that. <clears throat> now, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 19, it says, While they promised them liberty... They themselves are slaves of corruption for whom, by whom a person is to overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. You know, Paul taught an awful lot about the freedom in Christ and about the liberty found as a Christian. Does that mean you can do anything, any way, at any time that you want? And the answer is no. There's moral issues. There's well, the, uh, other people looking upon you. And although what you're doing, this kind of goes back to what Paul was saying. They look upon you and what you're doing may be okay, but it leads them in the wrong direction or it pushes them away from where they need to be. It's not about total liberty to do whatever you feel. It's the freedom you have from what? The bondage of sin. Of sin. But instead of being done in liberty, if we're not careful, it becomes our master. And, and, and it enslaves us, whatever it is. It may be food. You know, it may be food that has a hold in anything that that, that pulls us where we shouldn't be can pull us away from Christ. That's right. Can pull us away from Christ. Now, that's just kind of by way of an introduction. And a lot of this we're going to touch on in a lot more depth here in a few weeks. And, and I know there's a much deeper study that can go into this, but, but, but I think we need to kind of have this basic understanding. Uh, um, about where we are and where some of these issues uh, arose. Back earlier when we read the comments by uh, Nichols, 
He talked about specific authority versus generic authority. Now, specific authority is where it says, this is what you shall do. But then there's a generic authority that doesn't say how to do it. And that's where some of the freedom as a Christian comes from. As long as it's not transgressing God's laws in another way. For example, he, he, he used the example about the authority to assemble as a church. And, and we read from uh, Hebrews 10, uh, you know, not forsaking the assembly. Well, it says we're to do what? We're to come together and assemble as Christians. It doesn't tell us where. <clears throat> you know, if, if you wanted to take Scripture and with, and, and with a magnifying glass and go in there and just look at the very, very most basic thing, where did they meet most of the time during that first century? A lot of time it, it, it was in the courtyard of the temple. <coughs> Is that where we need to go? It was in the upper room. The church of the upper room. Is that where we need to be? People meet in houses. People own buildings. People rent buildings. People gather under a tree at the park. Okay? Is it about where we worship? Or is it about that we do worship? Okay? That's where you get into with, 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 with Scripture, where people begin to decide this is the way it should be. And they want, the way they want to do it, they think you ought to do it that way too. And that's not what Scripture says. And that's where a lot of conflicts in, in the late 1800s or early 1900s, that's where they lay. Folks, they're still alive and well. We, we'll look at many of those over the next few weeks. The authority to teach. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out some of these because these have been the issues that have caused it <coughs> in Christ's church. The authority to teach. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. We're to do what? We're to teach. And, and, and there's different types of teaching. <coughs> it doesn't mention using the internet. It doesn't mention using the television. <coughs> Those are abused, but I'm going to tell you something else. People that stand up and face the crowd abuse the truth as well. And a lot of times it's up to the hearer to determine that by studying what they've been taught. We have Bible classes. That's an expedient way to get groups of people together that we can get some in-depth study. I've been involved in Bible studies in home, both individual and with groups. Um, Public uh, teaching, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can teach. It doesn't say 
This is the way he must do it. The authority to take up the collection. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something storing up as he prospers. You know, our, our tradition is here that at the conclusion of our partaking of communion, we pass the plates as a matter of convenience. I've been to many churches that have a collection box in, in the foyer. And people just go by and whatever they want to leave and give, they, they just drop it into that box. That's, that's fine. There's no right way and wrong way. <clears throat> Baptism is commanded. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. It doesn't say we have to have a baptistry. So why do we have one? How many of them were baptized in a tank somewhere? Any of you? Okay. You're <coughs> baptized, aren't you? Okay. Just as baptized. That thing up there is just a matter of convenience is what it is. And it was, I remember my brother, one of my brothers was baptized in a tank in, in February. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't hold him under the water long, you know. <laughs> and it was cold out there. Just standing around, it was cold. But, uh, you know, he's just as baptized. It didn't matter where, but it does matter how. And we'll be studying that in real depth as we progress. Singing is commanded. Uh, Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Let the word of tr uh, Christ well in you. Let me turn this off. That disturbed me. <coughs> Dwelling you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual <coughs> songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Commandment is to do what? To sing. And to sing from where? The heart. I know people that don't think you ought to have song books. You know? Because they didn't have it in that first century church. But you know what? They didn't have a New Testament during the first century church, so we need to get rid of that too. If you see what I'm getting at? You, you, you can take things and, and make a direct command of something that's not a direct command. The direct command is, is to, to worship. The direct command is to teach, to take up a collection for baptism, to sing, but it doesn't say. You can't use a PowerPoint or a song book but it's very specific. Now, in almost every case, <clears throat> in almost every case that you look at where there's a specific command to do something, but it's not prescribed how, you're going to have 
disagreements arise and opinions and thoughts. You know what? Sometimes the best situation, I mean, the, in any given situation, in any given location, the best way to do things may not be the same for each one. <coughs> We had always, when, when, when I was growing up, we always had communion uh, and, and the collection at the end of the service. It always been done that way. The first, I remember the first time I went to the church that right in the middle of worship, they did that. Of course, I was a little tight, but I thought, wow, what are they doing? You know? And it might have been, wow, maybe we're getting out of here early. I don't know, because I was living, you know, how you think. But you know what? That my home congregation, because of a particular situation, moved it to the middle because of an individual that, because of some medical problems and things, had to leave early a lot, but they wanted to make it available. And you know what? People bristled. A few did. Because we've never done it. We've never done you never heard anybody say that before, have you? We've never done it that way. And and, and it shook them up. Um, just talking about communion. Look at that last 150 years, and this one's still alive. One cup plus multiple cups. Yeah, but it's not about the cup. It's not about the cup, is it? It's not about the cup. You know it's what's in you. It's what's in you. Exactly. And what it represents. Yeah, you're not eating, you're drinking that cup. That's it. That's it. But I know of some hard feelings that have developed over the years. Um, I, I think I related this. We had a picture with four glasses when I was growing up, and then one of the elderly gentlemen there in the congregation <coughs> came down with TV and they thought, what made you? Individual cups would be about <coughs> and people bristled. You know? And people bristled because the communion set that they bought had a cross on the top of it and they didn't want to have icons in the church. And my grandpa, my granddad, being a carpenter, went out to his pickup and got a silver uh, drawer pulled and put it on there and said, problem solved. You know? Isn't it amazing what people get to have shame over? Uh, I, I know there are those that say, well, in, in, in the scriptures, they gathered in the evening time and they took communion on Sunday evening. You know, so are we supposed to wait until Sunday evening? Is it Sunday, <coughs> Sunday morning? Uh, I've known people that just would, would almost go ballistic if you were having communion and you didn't have a whole piece of bread, that after they said the prayer for the bread, they broke it in front of everybody and put it in place. I see heads nod. Some of y'all have seen these. And it was important to them. It, it was important to them. Do you think God is watching us to see how we break bread and put it in the place? 
I'll be watching and see what we're thinking about when we're doing that. You're not watching, you're listening, isn't it? But the other side of that too, Sam, is it's, if, if, if it's if it's in if it's pleasing to everyone, you know. That's enough. If, if, it's, if it's if it's if it's pleasing to anyone, I as an outsider wouldn't be able to say, "Well, y'all shouldn't be and doing that." You know, that, that is the point right there. But I've seen, and some of you, I'm sure, some of those things we've talked about, I've seen congregations split over. Rather than getting past, the minor things and getting to the big picture, which the big picture is Jesus. And the reason we're coming together is, is to, to stand in awe of him and to worship him and God the Father. And when we're partaking of communion, it's not about the type of cup, how many cups. It's about where our heart and our mind, heart and our mind, I get it, uh, where it is when we're doing that. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Sunday school. Whoa. Yeah. I was raised in a non-Sunday school church. I got to I thought all of y'all were going there. You know? When, when I was young. Because that's all I knew. I've, I've never been taught that. But as a youngster, you'd be surprised how, how perceptive these little guys are. I just assumed if you had Sunday school, you were breaking every rule in the book, you know. Man. But that's been a big issue in the past. And it still comes up. Having a localized preacher. You know. I'm, I'm, I know folks to this day. And boy, if you're paying a, a preacher to preach for you, you, you know what I'm talking about. A localized minister where you're paying them <coughs> full time rather than using the men of the congregation. You know, there's nothing wrong either way. Because what you, as long as whoever stands in the pulpit is teaching God's truth, that's what he wants us to do. There's been splits over support of orphan homes and schools of preaching and you name it. Sometimes there's an expedient way to meet what God expects us to do. And as long as that expediency does not carry you into areas specifically forbidden and outside of the realm of God's word, and you're doing it to God's glory. See, that, that was part of the issue with the, the, the uh, missionary societies and all of that. There came this gray area. They weren't sure who, who was who, to whose glory this was. Was it God's glory? Or was it theirs? But don't you get that from the pulpit some places? 
whose church is it? Whose church is it? See, the, the thing all of this brings to my mind is that historically the church has fought over things so insignificant to the big picture and lost track of the purpose, the very reason for the church's existence and for the hope that we enjoy. And it reminds me that what brothers in Christ need to fight for is the common ground of Jesus and not hunt for ways nitpick to destroy. That's happened in the past. And I'm sad to say it will happen in the future. Because you have humans involved. You know, I, 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 I pray <coughs> and, and I know that, that here, this before my time, there were some issues and problems and and that breaks your heart to think about that. But you know, wherever I've been and watched, it's there and it's happened. But this place is a cohesive place. We're united in Christ. And, and it, there's such a peace for me personally to come in here and, and to share in times of worship. And, and I hope you have that same feeling. We'll pick it up.